0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back again. Hope these words are finding you well. Uh, I'm doing pretty well myself. Thanks for asking. And uh, looking forward, as always, to reading God's Word with you. Let's begin with some prayer. Father, we thank you for another day of life. We thank you for um, the gift of your Word um, and the gift that surely you have to give us as we read and reflect on your Word Um, as we look to receive from you and to put into practice in our life whatever it is that we receive from you. We ask for wisdom and clarity as we read um, and faith uh, to move forward, to take our next step of faith with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to read Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out—the only son of his mother, and she was a widow—and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, "Don't cry." Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said young man i say to you get up the dead man sat up and began to talk and jesus gave him back to his mother they were filled with awe and praised god a great prophet has appeared among us they said god has come to help his people this news about jesus spread throughout judea and the surrounding countryside what feeling did you get as this passage began i mean there was absolutely nothing good about this story from the start, was there? A man, or maybe a boy, dead on a bier which was a flat wicker stand or basket, his body facing up to the sky. He was most likely surrounded by a fairly large crowd of people who processed with him out of town and toward the graveyard, mourning his passing with somber songs and tears and perhaps even loud wails. And there in the middle of the crowd was the man's mother, who Luke tells us was left a widow. I can't understand uh, what it's like to endure the death of your child, no matter the age. I can't imagine, though, that if it were me, I would be completely devastated. Luke doesn't tell us if she was sobbing or silent as the professor the procession moved forward, but I have to believe she was emotionally wrecked and physically weak. Maybe the only thing keeping her going was the desire to be with her son for just a few more moments. It's a story that begins with complete sadness and hopelessness. Death, again, it had appeared, had won, and there was nothing that anyone could do about it. The closest I've ever been uh, to what we read in this passage happened when I was a junior in college. I woke up one morning to the phone ringing, and when I picked it up, it was my mom. All she said was, hi, Nathan. Uh, You should know that the world calls me Nate, but my family has always called me Nathan. And I know that all of you know, as well as I do, that it's not simply... Uh, about words when people speak. The tone, inflection, emphasis all communicate too. And this is especially true perhaps of people we know the best. My mom said, hi, Nathan. And I knew something was wrong. Her voice was frail. It cracked a little and I could tell she was holding back tears. Tommy was in a car accident last night and he died. That moment was surreal for me, and honestly what followed becomes a little cloudy as I look back on it. I remember repeating no, no, and and breaking down in tears, uh, but I'm not sure about the rest of the conversation. I just remember being so sad. I think I cried on and off for three days. Tommy was one of my earliest friends. We were in the third grade together. uh We graduated high school together. He was one of my best friends for much of that time. I have countless memories of uh us and our friends joking, playing video games and poker, going to concerts together, uh vacationing at the beach. um I helped him bale straw on his family farm for a couple of summers. He was one of those guys who was perfectly lovable, who looked for opportunities to make you laugh and who always had a crowd around him. And now he was dead. It was, it was inconceivable except for the sound of my mom's voice. I knew it was true. That day I called my friends from back home and broke the news to Many of them, one after another, disbelieving what had happened, just like I did. The, the calls were short. There was nothing really that we could say to comfort each other. We just, we just needed to be alone and to be sad. The sting of death gets less painful with time, but it certainly hangs on for the people that we love the most. I can remember going to classes the next few days with little energy and no desire to talk to anyone. I can remember calling hours and the line of 20-somethings that we grew up with winding through the funeral home and stretching out of the building and through the parking lot. I remember weeping with three of my high school buddies next to the casket and I can remember the next day after the funeral as we all processed outside to the gravesite. And my mom and I walked together behind the casket and I surveyed the faces of my friends and their parents, these people that I had grown up with. We had such a tight group of friends that we'd become like family and we had all lost a family member. It wasn't right. This this wasn't the way things were supposed to be. Death is the great hurdle none of us can avoid nor overcome. It's the thing that's chasing us down that we can't escape. In the end, we're all powerless against it. The mother in this story was consumed with grief because this was it for her son. There was no going back, no seeing him ever again. In a little while, her grief would likely have been consumed with anxiety for her future. Women had few rights and little to no status in much of the ancient world. Without a husband and now without a son who would have functioned in the place of her husband as the head of the household, she was left to rely on extended family and good neighbors to help sustain her. Uh, to, to help with her family's assets and even to keep her alive. In verse 13, we read that when Jesus saw what was happening and when he saw the pain that this mother was going through, his heart went out to her. Now, the Greek word there that's translated into that phrase more literally means to be moved in one's bowels. In other words, way down deep. I think that Jesus identified so much with this woman's pain that he felt a punch to the gut when he saw the look on her face. Similar to yesterday when we read of Jesus's miracle in the leper's life, we see the deep compassion of Jesus for those who are suffering. He he didn't just acknowledge that this situation was unfortunate in some sort of intellectual way, but he felt it and he was moved to do something about it. The Bible tells us that the effects of sin are physical, emotional, and spiritual, at least. Disease and sickness and death were not part of God's original creative intention for the world. We were not meant to endure the weed of broken relationships, lost lives, and carrying our anxieties and fears on our own. And we were most certainly not designed to be cut off from God. In contrast, his intent was that we would walk with him as his children and his friends every day of our lives. In his humanity, Jesus came into direct contact with the effects of sin. He stepped into the physical world like a firefighter entering a burning building. The the environment was harsh and it affected him. He wasn't some spiritual figment of the imagination who was somehow present yet detached from time and space. He felt the heat of life, and he understood that people's lives were on the line in all sorts of ways. Yet in his righteousness, in his connection with heaven by the Spirit of God, he had the power to confront sin and overcome it. In yesterday's uh, account of his healing of the leper, Jesus showed his power over sin in healing the man's body. Today, Jesus shows us his power over sin by bringing a man back to life. My fear for the Western Church, of which I'm a part, especially for those of us who can pacify our needs with an abundance of activities and resources, is that we can brush off the significance of this and and all that it means for us. Jesus felt for the world and he feels for us. The, The scriptures say that Jesus didn't come to judge the world but to save it. Jesus stepped into our world completely identified with it and faced our greatest enemy on our behalf in his humanity but with the power of heaven. He wants us to be well in every sense of the word and he actually has the power to do it. God has come to help his people. That was the conclusion of those who witnessed this event with their own eyes. I wonder today, what is our conclusion? I encourage you to take some time to think about that, to really reflect on this account and who God our Father is revealing Jesus, his son, to be. And as you do, I wonder, how does that impact your life? What does it mean to you that Jesus stepped into our world to take on sin in, in, in all its dimensions and all its steps, and that he has the power to be victorious over it in every single way? Let's pray. God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your revelation to us about the Lord Jesus. We pray that the revelation would become real to each one of us, um, that we would know it as truth, not just as facts in a textbook, um, but as a living, breathing reality, as a real relationship with a real person. Uh, I pray that you would help us each grasp that and to live out of that. Um, Lead us, God, we put our faith and trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.